0: Hi, this is girl boss radio from panoply i'm sophia amaruso founder of nasty gal and the author of girl boss every week i talk to different women who i think are super interesting and sometimes they're ones that i know which is the case for liz Goldwyn, a dear friend and a great author Let's get down to the interview. Liz Goldwyn is a writer, filmmaker, and an artist. She was New York editor of French Vogue from 2001 to 2002 and has contributed to publications including the New York Times Magazine, the Financial Times, and British Vogue. In 2006, she published her comprehensive book, Pretty Things, along with a documentary of the same title. Now she's out with her second book, Sporting Guide, about prostitution in Los Angeles at the turn of the 20th century, basically pre-Hollywood Los Angeles. It existed. Hi, Liz. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Sophia. Congratulations on your book, Sporting Guide. It's so pretty. Thank you. How long ago did it come out? October 6th. And this is your second book. This is my second book, yes. The
1: first one is pink, Uh and it's called Pretty Things, and it's about the last generation of American burlesque queens. And
0: all of your books are really research-based. I think that's so cool. I mean, do you just have a penchant for history and these specific subjects. I mean, your sporting guide, it's not the same topic at all. But there's a vein of women in history and female sexuality. Female sexuality
1: and women who've been forgotten by history. Women who at their time were shunned and scorned by society because of what they did. And I believe that they deserve our respect and recognition. And I yes, I love research. I'm a total library nerd. There's nothing that makes me happier than hanging out in a university library amongst the dusty archives and being on this treasure hunt yeah. because it has nothing to do with what anyone else thinks or how cool you are or how cool you not you aren't. It's just based on your own merit and your own
0: work and you know yeah. what you want to discover.
1: Do you collect anything? I collect everything. Really? Yeah. I
0: would imagine that if you enjoy collecting artifacts of history, I mean philosophically collecting, that you would also collect actual physical things. Well, the Um, first book,
1: actually, Pretty Things, and I made a documentary film too, I got into from collecting burlesque costumes and photographing myself in them and really wanting to understand the women who wore these costumes originally I think that's why I like history and like these research projects is um, to better understand not only the women who came before but in a way you know ourselves yeah because it's just the same stories repeating themselves just because I had a talk last night at Huntington I was telling you and someone asked me in the audience how did people have sex in 1897 and you know what? They had sex the same way we do now, and they had heartbreak the same way, way we do now. They, mm-hmm. All these experiences are just a human experience.
0: And your mother was a TV writer. Yeah, my mom's a writer. And you credit her for getting you into feminist issues, and how did your mother influence you?
1: Well, I, my first job was at Planned Parenthood That's when amazing. I was 13. First I worked in the media library and then I worked in the clinic. Of course. So I was very popular at school because I was the one who all the other kids would go to with their questions about sex. Yeah which was, you know, I I obviously wasn't having that kind of personal experience back then, but I was privy to all this information. So I was like a one woman (laughs) library sex educator. And I really enjoyed it. I'm very, in general, non-judgmental. And I think it's important to have a forum where people are made to feel like it's okay to have these questions. I mean, none of us have any of the answers. Especially to a subject like sexuality which is constantly evolving our own sexuality is always evolving. What we're interested in at 16 is different than 26, and 36, 46,
0: so. Totally. Were you ever criticized? Like, I could imagine, like, my mom would be like, that's, you don't even know what sex is. You're 13. Like, I'm not going to let you go there. I feel like there's parents that would not support that, right? It's so cool.
1: I was definitely encouraged by, with my my family, and my dad was, you know, sort of charming playboy. So I had Uh that on the other side, this feminist mother and this charming playboy father, Uh I I definitely get criticized for the work I do now. Really? Um, Yeah, for for the burlesque book and talking about women who are prostitutes. But, uh, you know, I don't do this without wanting to send a message. I Mm -hmm. feel really strongly about women and women's history and women's sexuality and making this a more open dialogue between the sexes. So I don't mind the criticism. Bring it on.
0: And we did an interview on the Nestle blog. Are you involved with any politics surrounding prostitution today? Like, is that something that you have a position on? I, of- think,
1: I think prostitution should be legalized so that women have proper health care and we reduce sexual violence against women. And I think something like the recent – News around the Bunny Ranch with Lamar Odom's overdose. I've been asked oh. a lot about that on on wow. past lately because that's wow. where prostitution is legal. Yeah. But it's not a nice brothel. The women have to pay a pretty high percentage of each trick to the house and they have to buy their wardrobe from the house. From or, the house? Mm-hmm, and oh. it's not a chic. It's no it's nasty not gal. Cute. It's not, not a nasty gal. <laughs> it's not a chic wardrobe. So if I was
0: a madam, I would run a really classy joint. You did run a classy joint. You, I mean, we've both had collaborations with MAC Cosmetics, which yes. I think is really interesting. And I was just asking Liz, her lip color, what is it? So it's Lady Danger. It's so beautiful. And how long ago was your collaboration with MAC?
1: I think it was 2012 or 13. Cool. But I built a brothel you, in LA. You were a la- you were. A, <laughs> I was a madam. A madam. <laughs> um, yeah, I built a brothel as a, as a theatrical and ma- not a real brothel, but it was a performative piece that was open for one night. Um, And I had about a cast of nine and a crew of 35, and I built my dream 1890s brothel. And I even worked with a perfumer to scent the rooms. And you couldn't touch the girls, and you couldn't talk to the girls. And the concept was it was time travel, as if you went back to 1897, it was 4 o'clock in the morning, and all the Johns had left. So even if you could time travel, you would never be allowed to see the girls at their moment of rest. Just being themselves. Yeah, just being themselves. Yeah. So
0: it was a voyeuristic experience. By the way, what is a sporting guide and where did you get the title? So
1: sporting guides existed in every time period, culture, and language, and they were essentially a guidebook, a Zagat-like guide to a city's best brothels. So they existed in Hong Kong in the 1950s, in England in the it's 16th like century. <laughs> it's like Yelp, but Paris and La Belle Epoque. And they were privately printed and distributed. Like Does Yelp. everybody
0: know this? Did, or did you stumble across one? I think most of the stuff that I'm into is not necessarily popular information <laughs> not everybody knows this otherwise
1: i have a lot of obscure 17th century gossip if you want it um uh-huh. but i and i could not tell you like you know that would
0: be a really good podcast <laughs> obscure 17th century gossip are you kidding me and
1: then kylie jenner snapchats on the other end of the spectrum uh-huh.
0: you're, pretty, you're pretty active on snapchat i love snapchat yeah We'll get into that later. I think cosmetics are just really interesting. And I read the chapter on cosmetics in your book. And it's so interesting. When I was putting on blush this morning, it made me feel like, oh, my God, don't put too much blush on because somebody's going to (laughs) think you're a (laughs) a painted lady (laughs) or a whore. Anyway, I loved the chapter on cosmetics in your book. And I'd really love if you could read it to our listeners. I will read it to you. And this book, by the way. It looks like a journal. It's this beautiful. It's like a men's erotic diary. Blood red book. It has a built-in bookmark. It does. Beautiful grow beautiful red ribbon. Um, so I'll read this for you.
1: Several centuries ago, cosmetics were the province of actresses and prostitutes, also known as painted ladies. It was said that a painted face is enough to destroy the reputation of her that uses it. Now in 1897, the use of cosmetics and face paint has spread well beyond the narrow confines of social strata or geography. Yet the feminine ideal for upstanding moral ladies remains a pale unspoiled complexion free of paints and artifice. Regardless, it requires great effort to achieve this natural look. For those women not inherently endowed with fair skin, they must resort to painting their faces with white powders made from solutions containing talc, bismuth, oyster shells, and seed pearls dissolved in acid. To highlight wan complexions, women artistically draw themselves additional veins with blue grease pencils or a paste of chalk, gum, arabic water, and blue dye. Druggists sell commercially produced creams to make the skin radiant their ingredients often including mercury, arsenic, and lead. It is well known that absorbing lead can cause convulsion of the limbs, if not paralysis and death. Alas, to be beautiful is to suffer. A bloom of youth lotion for whitening has led to hundreds of medical ailments. Arsenic is used as a facial wash and is also available in digestible forms, such as Dr. Campbell's Safe Arsenic, complexion wafers. Advertised in vogue and sold by low-cost retailers and catalogs, these solutions are promoted as providing clear and brilliant complexions not obtainable by external applications, as well as being beneficial to general health. For women unable to afford such luxury goods, but desperate for the right pallor, they can rub their faces with breadcrumbs, eat chalk, slate, and tea grounds, suck on lead pencils, sip vinegar, or be bled. Any threat to a woman's lily-white appearance is cause for alarm. When electric street lamps were introduced to Los Angeles in 1882, the gas company protested, saying that electric light had a bad effect on ladies' complexions. A recipe in an 1896 issue of the Los Angeles Evening Herald suggested that women bathe their faces two to three times a day with buttermilk and wear a thin gauze veil for protection against the sun. Even excessive exposure to moonlight is warned against for its supposedly harsh effects on uncovered skin.
0: Thank you so much. So speaking of beauty routines, I'm so curious about your beauty routine. Is it buttermilk, lead, arsenic? (laughs) (laughs) I'm really into holistic beauty actually. Wow.
1: Um so besides the red lipstick I wear pretty much every day which contains a lot of lead still. Um and is does it prob- really? Yes, it does. Oh, wow. Because I won't I can't do the natural cosmetics. It doesn't have that Color powerful pigment. red yeah. I like. So of course I'm like slowly poisoning myself through my lips since I was I don't even know how old I was when I when I started wearing red lips. But other than that, I don't use anything with fragrance. For shampoo and conditioner, I usually buy at Whole Foods. I make sure that the plastics, that the cosmetics I use are safe. Wow, I like all organic face brands.
0: Has it always been that way? Or is there some point where you learned something and you were like, oh, hell nah?
1: Well, I started working for Shiseido when I was 19 which is one of the biggest cosmetic brands is Japanese company. So I learned a lot. So I've been actually worked in the beauty industry a long time. And, um, uh, you know, I was always really into making kitchen cosmetics. Still my favorite, favorite face mask is full fat Greek yogurt and honey equal parts Uh Um, and now I've started to put a little lavender oil in it and I keep it in the fridge you can keep it for up to 10 days and it's great to do before you're going out or if you have you know 10 minutes or even 40 minutes you can let it get hard it's a really good moisturizer it's antibacterial it's also a good snack. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good snack, yeah. <laughs> Even if you eat the 0% yogurt, when you're going to do the face mask, you got to get 100% yeah. full fat Greek. Is there a brand that you like? I like this one that you can get at Air One. It's so expensive. It's ridiculous. It's called like Yaris. Oh, It's
0: delicious. It's very creamy. I really like the Trader Joe's full fat. Yeah, I just learned to like yogurt, and I only like Greek yogurt. I don't like any other yogurt, and I'm Greek, and it's weird. So you should be doing the face mask. I should be. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. I thought the chapter on sexuality in your book was also really interesting. You know that times were tough out there for a woman Mm -hmm. regardless of whether you were working or not just as a housewife you know you weren't supposed to experience orgasm you were not exposed to experience
1: orgasms as a victorian housewife because it was thought to interfere with conceiving and the only reason why you were supposed to be having sex in the first place was to create life and actually prostitution was really uh, encouraged and, and more openly in Victorian Victorian life for men because men had these natural sexual urges which they had to dispel somewhere which we
0: don't have right exactly I mean, no way
1: I, I mean this is at the time too when you know the vibrator is just like an idea at this time it's definitely not you know popularized but people are starting to experiment with the with the vibrators um mm-hmm. but this whole idea of female hysteria too and women having you know all these things are not discussed at the time. I mean, I don't know if you saw the image in the book of the what a woman had to wear for for, for menstruation, but it's basically... It was like a strap. It's like a belt with um, a harness attached to it, and then you had to use starched linen, which you, you had to starch it afterwards every time. It was wow. not disposable. It was not easy to be a woman.
0: Yeah. I knew an anarchist girl once who was making reusable maxi pads. out of something, and I was just thinking... remember thinking, like no way I'm going to go wash this like a cloth diaper, but I'm sure it's very good for your body not to, I don't know. Well,
1: you should make sure even now that your tampons you use are organic I cotton. I use organic. Yeah.
0: Oh, wait. Most of the time I use organic should tampons. try to, ladies. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where do you buy organic cotton tampons? From? Get them at Whole Foods if you have a Whole Foods near you. there's tons of bleach and stuff yeah. in the cotton that you're shoving up into your hoo-hoo.
1: This is exactly why I, w- I write books like this, although this book is fiction and the first one was nonfiction, because I just think we need to be talking about all these issues and women need to talk about it with each other and women and men need to be talking about sex before they're having it or young women and women or young men and men.
0: Do you think that being exposed to Planned Parenthood and just what seems like a sex positive mother led you to make better decisions as far as sex goes, we don't need to get into the details <laughs> over the course of, of your life. You know, as progressive in terms of her feminism as my mother was,
1: she never, ever, ever sat me down and talked to me about sex. I still think it's very difficult for a parent, any parent, to talk to their kid about sex, which is why I think we should have sex education in schools.
0: Do you find that can the the subject nature of what you spend your time, you know, your books, everything – and the fact that you're so educated on sex. What is that like, you know, for the guy on the receiving end of like, hey, I want to take this girl on a date? Like, <laughs> is, is that a lot to weed through? Um, you know what? I, I think that there's a really big difference between what I write
1: about and what I'm personally interested in. And, you know, I actually got married really young. I'm divorced now, but I met my ex-husband when I was 18. And so I, you know, didn't have this sort of wild, I was, I was married in my entire twenties and, you know, the sort of more, I'm more old fashioned in my personal life. That's not to say I'm not adventurous. And I think for men, it can be, the ones who are not right can be intimidated, but I'd say most mm. of them are pretty excited that I have a whole wardrobe devoted to lingerie. lingerie and if that's one of the things
0: you collect, right? <laughs> yeah, I collect lingerie. Is there any specific era of lingerie
1: that you really love? Well, I pretty much sleep exclusively in silk nightgowns. Okay, wait, um, tell me
0: what, what, what happens when you get home, when Liz Goldwyn gets home for the day. To, um, you know, make herself some tea that she orders from Canada, <laughs> <laughs> which I've now ordered from Canada. What's it called? David's Tea is the it's brand. Really good. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. You get undressed. You don't put on sweats. What do you do?
1: No. Although I have a Thrasher hoodie, which I love. Okay. But um, see, I don't wear that kind of stuff to like. Scrounge because I feel more comfortable in, you know, a 1940s silk robe or, you know, 1930s velvet. Do you drop
0: shit on your, I mean, if you,
1: if you wear vintage laundry like I do, it's constantly like disintegrating, getting rips. Okay. So you're not like super precious no it no happens. some collectors are i'm not i'm That's not That's cool yeah i cool. mean i want to live in it and it makes me feel good about myself when i wake up in the morning and you look at your face in the mirror
0: and you're and you've got like this, oh my god i know like wake a up pink beautiful i wake up naked and i'm just like no Never mind. I should wear something beautiful.
1: But it's not even about that. I think it's just about changing the attitude around waking up naked and looking at yourself and, and buying lingerie for yourself, not for anyone else's pleasure, but it's got to start with, you know, self love. Mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing that I'm interested in besides sexuality is sexuality and self love and helping, helping women feel more confident about themselves because you're going to have better sex when you just
0: feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, Fucking fabulous. Am I allowed to swear? Of course. Yeah, I'm fucking fabulous. Fucking fabulous. Yeah. How did you get so fabulous? Were you always confident? Were you ever the girl? Because I was that girl at one point who was like uh, trying to make out with a guy and then, oh my God, my shirt came off. And then I was like, please turn off the lights or like, don't look at me. And I think that's probably really common at some point in everyone's life. Hopefully you get over it. But I'm sure there's girls who'd spend a lot of their lives feeling that way. Like how did you earn your confidence? Do you think it needs to be earned? No,
1: I mean I have as many insecurities as the next woman, of course. Like a, a million and one every day. Uh, you know, I fight them all the time. But I think a lot of that too is, you know, discussing these things and I know I have a lot of friends even who are successful, confident, amazing women and and powerful yet they've never had an orgasm or mm-hmm. they don't own a vibrator and they're just afraid. Do you to- give
0: vibrators as gifts?
1: I do. I give a Lilo vibrator and I give a Hulu. I give- gave you I a know. Hulu. I love my And Hulu. a copy of um, Nina Hartley's Total Guide to Sex. Uh-huh.
0: On this show, I want to talk about a lot of things, but I do kind of chart the course of every woman's history who joins me here. You started, you know, your first—you were thirteen at Planned Parenthood, and you went. But you went to college, and you went to college for photography, which I didn't know about you, yeah. um, which I think is so cool. Tell me about photography and its role in your life. And, I mean, you became a director. Yeah, I have, I have a bachelor's degree in photography. And now you have a Snapchat. <laughs> I have a Snapchat,
1: and I use it like my own. It's so bad. I have a bachelor's degree in photography, and I pretty much use my iPhone exclusively to make my photographs, which is terrible, but I am a director. So I I do use my degree. And, you know, for me, everything I've been interested in, I've just pursued things. I've got had a million internships. I've had a lot of amazing mentors in my life. And I've never felt afraid. For me, what I like is learning. I never had an idea. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to be when I grow up. It was more like, I'm really interested in art. I'm really into photography. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn everything I can. Oh, I want to make jewelry. Let me apprentice with someone. Who did Uh, you apprentice with? I apprenticed with metal workers out in in the valley in L.A.
0: Oh wow, that's yeah. So So
1: anything I was interested in, I would just sort of figure out who was the best at it and be and say,
0: can I come and learn from you and for free
1: and intern on my free time? And you know, I always had a job even when I was a kid and. You know, I think just it's only by exploring your interests that you figure out what it is that you're meant to be doing.
0: Totally. I agree. And then you went, you worked at Sotheby's. I did. Yeah. And tell me what you did there.
1: I helped start the fashion department when I was like 17. It was sort of a crazy thing of being in the right place at the right time and having always collected clothes. Um, It was just, you know, I had an allowance growing up and. Um, Then I had jobs to earn my allowance. So my friends and I would just, you know, we couldn't afford to buy clothes except for at thrift stores, right? And I grew up in LA. So that was what you did. You know, we wore 1920s gowns and we're really into 40s dresses. Like a lot of the same things I wear now. I still have things that I bought when I was 14 that I actually still wear.
0: Do you have any favorite vintage haunts in Los Angeles?
1: Los Angeles is, I think, the mecca for vintage. Los Angeles is really, really good. I've, I've had an Etsy addiction lately. Oh,
0: really? Yeah. I what are your search terms? Haha, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling. <laughs> <laughs> Smart girl. I mean, you were so young to be doing these things. Did the people around you take you seriously? Did they treat you like a little kid? Did you ever feel like, Oh my God, I don't belong here. Who let me in the door? Do you ever feel like an imposter? When I'm learning, I feel comfortable in those situations. I feel
1: really comfortable just diving in and digging in. I mean, of course there are many situations where I feel like an imposter, but it's probably not the ones that you would think. It's maybe more like um I have real trouble, like, with being cool, being at a hipster party and being cool and like leaning against the wall wearing all black. Like, that I feel like <laughs> it's like some weird like rockabilly movie or like. I, yeah, movie. I feel like an imposter. Then I feel like I'm gonna be found out. Like I'm not cool at all. And but I but I feel like my
0: most comfortable in sort
1: of high pressure situations. Yeah.
0: Were you always a writer? I mean, you went to school for photography, and now you have two books. Yeah. Was writing always really valuable to you, or really important? It was, but I, I would write
1: stories. I wrote a lot of dirty nursery rhymes when I was in elementary Do you remember school. any? Yeah, because I got into trouble. Actually, okay, tell, I you? got into trouble for one that was about Mary had a little. It was more of like it wasn't. What really did Mary dirty. have? It was. It wasn't really dirty. It was more like um, black comedy. What did Mary have? Well, she had the little lamb and it followed her to school one day and it made all the children get into trouble. And the punchline was, let's slaughter that lamb. But I made these zines and I hand and <laughs> with That's all these I, thought, I thought it was going to be like weird and sexual or something. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, just sort of dark. And I made zines and I handed them out at school. I was really into stuff like that. Like I would get really obsessed with witchcraft and I would oh. do like a report at school on witchcraft. But I would bring in like accoutrements to do spells and totally freak out the other... What kind of music were you into, like, as a
0: teenager?
1: Which- I was really into hip-hop. Really? I still love hip-hop. Yeah, lots of hip-hop. What um, are your favorites? Oh, God. I mean, uh, Jack, who's a 17-year-old male hustler character in the book. Um, the book's written in first person for each of the six characters. And for him, I was actually listening to a lot of contemporary male rappers so that I could, like, get into the headset of, you know, a real hustler. Wow. A.S.A.P. Oh. Rocky, I love A.S.A.P. Rocky's new record. Cool.
0: You've worked for Planned Parenthood. You worked at Chassado. You launched the vintage department at Sotheby's. You've directed a film and you've written two books. And all of those things are very different. And you know, I write in Girl Boss that success is not really a straight line. It's kind of messy. You go up and down and left and right. And success is just a weird word to begin with, but what has that been like for you and how have you are there comparisons that you draw f- between the things that you've done in in your life to me everything i've done makes sense as part of you know one one goal
1: or purpose but actually it used to really stress me out that i didn't do one thing and i p- other people it was you know what stressed me out it was actually other people that had a hard time because I didn't do one thing with fitting me into a box and I would get so frustrated with that but at a certain point I just said you know what fuck it I'm a, I'm following my heart and my passions and I believe in what I'm doing so if I'm not fitting into the box of okay I'm going to be a director I'm going to be a jewelry designer I want to explore yeah. all these interests and I want to be able to run off and join the circus when I'm 70 Like, Uh you know, and if I, if I let my own call me, yeah, (laughs) if I let my, if I stop myself just because I'm supposed to be this one thing, then I would, I would live a sad life because life's short, right? You have to experiment and you have to take risks. And, um, you know, my grandfather walked across British Columbia and he was a glove maker and then he became a producer. He was a Polish immigrant who spoke Yiddish as his first language. So maybe I have a little bit of that spirit in me, yeah. um, that everything I take on, I like to take on something that I know nothing about, that I'm the least qualified person to do just because I want
0: to figure out how to do it. I want to yeah. understand it. It's the most fun when you're starting, when you come in from the outside and you have to solve it for yourself and you have to yeah. find the resources to get there for yourself. I and think. and I like, and
1: I really enjoy the struggle too actually i um, feel the least confident in the spaces where i'm getting the attention for something i did i feel the most confident like i said in a library yeah. just doing the work doing the research because it's not based on on anyone else's recognition yeah. of course i love i really like i like everything i do i've written a, a television show recently and and i plan to adopt sporting guide but cool. writing books is really special because it's unlike a film. Once you write that book and you someone buys it, it becomes theirs. Mm-hmm. And there's so many books that I love that meant so much to me growing up, you know, getting lost in a world and feeling like it was mine. Uh-huh. And that's what I love about writing a book is that it's not mine anymore.
0: Yeah. What advice would you have for the girl who wants to maybe just be good at one of the things that you've done? Well, she's probably got more talent in her pinky than I have
1: in my in my two hands, because I think that's so special to be like an amazing baker or, a, you know, a cellist or or singer. I, I think you got to put in the hours. You got to read some Malcolm Gladwell and <laughs> and understand that it takes 10,000 hours and not be afraid of hard work. I think we live in such a celebrity success-obsessed culture that applauds people for the wrong things, and I don't think that those are the things that are going to stand the test of time. I think you should aim to do work that's there long after you're dead. Legacy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think you should think about that. I think you should think about long-term goals. Mm -hmm. You know, you can experiment. I love to experiment with things in the short term, but... Yeah. You know, I think you should think about like really putting effort and work um, into things, and and waiting until you really feel like you know you've put everything you possibly could into it before you put it out there. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree. And then there's the approach that I agree with you that it should be you should be pretty baked before you take something out there because you could really blow it. But if you're a perfectionist like me, sometimes your 80% is everyone else's 100%.
1: Yeah, it's never going to be, you're you know, never going to be satisfied like, with, you know, yeah. hopefully, but that's because you're going to do the next sometimes, thing. Sometimes you just got to
0: go do it. Yeah. Um, Liz, thank you so much for thank being you. here. This was really fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was Girl Boss Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week, so please tune in. Our producer is Shara Morris. Thank you also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Girlboss, on Instagram at Girlboss. Our email address is podcastgirlboss.com. You can find me on Twitter at Sophia Amoruso and at Sophia Amoruso on Instagram. Hey, I'm on Facebook too. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. But only if you like us. Thanks also to Warner Brothers Music, We have a new intro, outro, music, little ditty on the podcast. The first episodes were done by my husband, Joel. This week, I wanted it to be a little funkier, and I think we might keep this around for a while. This is a band called Phases off their new album, For Life. It came out in 2015, and the song is called I'm In Love With My Life. We're going to listen to the full track now. Thanks for listening. See you next week.